0: CHAPTER Twelve OF THE HEART OF THE ANCIENT WOOD BY SIR CHARLES G.D. ROBERTS READ FOR LIBRIVOX.ORG BY SANDRA YOUNG DAVE AT THE CLEARING During the rest of the journey, a matter of an hour's walking, there was little talk between Miranda and Dave, for the ancient wood has the property that it makes talk seem trivial. With those who journey through the great vistas in clear twilight of the trees, Thoughts are apt to interchange by the medium of silence and sympathy, or else to remain uncommunicated. Whatever her misgivings, her resentments, and hostilities, Miranda was absorbed in her companion. So deeply was she absorbed that she failed to notice an unwonted emptiness in the shadows about her. In very truth, the furtive folk had all fled away. The presence of the hunter filled them with instinctive fear and in their chief defence their moveless self-effacement they had no more any confidence while within reach of miranda's eyes the stranger was like herself and though they trusted her in all else they knew the compulsion of nature and feared lest she might betray them to her own kind therefore they held prudently aloof the hare and the porcupine the fox and the red cat the raccoon slipped into his hole in the maple tree and the woodmice scurried under the hemlock root, and the woodpecker kept the thickness of a tree between his foraging and Miranda's eye. Only the careless and inquisitive partridge, sitting on a birch limb just over the trail, curiously awaited their approach, till suddenly an intuition of peril awoke him, and he fled on wild wings away through the diminishing arches. Even the little brown owl in the pine crotch snapped his bill and hissed, uneasily as the two passed under his perch. Yet all these signs, that would have been to her in other moods, a loud proclamation of change, now passed unnoted. Miranda was receiving a new impression, and the experience engrossed her. Arrived at the edge of the clearing, Dave was struck by the alteration that had come over it since that day thirteen years back, when he had aided Kirsty's flight from the settlement, It was still bleak and overbrooded by a vast, unroutable stillness, for the swelling of the land lifted it from the forest's shelter and made it neighbour to the solitary sky. But the open fields were prosperous with blue-flowered flax, pink and white buckwheat, the green somberness of potatoes and the gallant ranks of corn, while half a dozen sleek cattle dotted the stumpy pasture. The fences were well kept. The cabin and the barn were hedged about with shining thickets of sunflower, florid hollyhocks and scarlet runner-beans. It gave the young woodman a kind of pang, this bit of homely sweetness projected as it were upon the infinite solitude of the universe. It made him think, somehow, of the smile of a lost child that does not know it is lost. Presently, to his astonishment, there rose up from behind a blackberry coppice, the very biggest bear he'd ever seen. The huge animal paused at sight of a stranger and sat up on her hind quarters to inspect him then she dropped again upon all fours shuffled to Miranda's side and affectionately snuggled her nose into the girl's palm dave looked on with smiling admiration the picture appealed to him and miranda scanning his face with jealous keenness could detect therein nothing but approval this is croof said she graciously "'Never seen such a fine bear in all my life!' exclaimed the young man sincerely enough, and with a rash unmindfulness of the reserve which governs the manners of all the furtive folk, except the squirrels, he stretched out his hand to stroke Kroof's splendid coat. The presumption was instantly resented. With an indignant squeal, Kroof swung aside and struck at the offending hand, missing it by a hair's breadth as Dave snatched it back out of peril.' A flush of anger darkened his face, but he said nothing. Miranda, however, was annoyed, feeling her hospitality dishonoured. With a harsh rebuke, she slapped the bear sharply over the snout and drew a little away from her. Kruf was amazed. Not since the episode of the hare had Miranda struck her, and then the baby hand had conveyed no offence. Now it was different, and she felt that the tall stranger was the cause of the difference. Her heart swelled fiercely within her furry sides. She gave Miranda one look of bitter reproach and shambled off slowly down the green alleys of the potato field. During some moments of hesitation, Miranda looked from Croof to Dave and from Dave to Croof. Then her heart smote her. With a little sob in her throat, she ran swiftly after the bear and clung to her neck with murmured words of penitence. But Croof paying no attention whatever, kept her way steadily to the woods, dragging Miranda as if she'd been a bramble caught on her fur. Not till she'd reached the very edge of the forest, at the sunny corner where she'd been wont to play with Miranda during the far-off first years of their friendship, did the old bear stop. There she turned, sat up on her haunches, eyed the girl's face steadily for some seconds, and then licked her gently on the ear. It meant forgiveness, reconciliation, but Kroof was too deeply hurt to go back with Miranda to the cabin. In response to the girl's persuasions, she but licked her hands assiduously, as if pleading to be not misunderstood, then dropped upon all fours and moved off into the forest, leaving Miranda to gaze after her with tearful eyes. When she went back to where the young hunter awaited her, Miranda's friendly interest had vanished, and in a chilly silence, very unlike that which had been eloquent between them a short half-hour before, The two walked on up to the cabin. In Kirsty's welcome, Dave found all the warmth he could wish, with never a reproach for his long years of neglect, for which, therefore, he the more bitterly reproached himself. The best of all protections against the stings of self-reproach is the reproach of others, and of this protection Kirsty ruthlessly deprived him. She asked about all the details of his life as a solitary trapper, congratulated him on his success, appeared sympathetic toward his calling and refrained from attempting his conversion to vegetarianism. Looking at her noble figure, her face still beautiful in its strength and calm, the young man harked back in his memory to the settlement's scandals and decided that Frank Craig had never of his own will forsaken a woman so altogether gracious and desirable. He resolved that he would come often to the cabin in the clearing, even if Miranda was unpleasant to him. Unpleasant she certainly was, all the evening, coldly unconscious of his presence except, of course, at supper, where civility as well as hospitality obliged her to keep his plate supplied and not to sour his meal with an obstinate silence. He watched her stealthily while he talked to her mother, and the fact that her wild and subtle beauty, thrilling his blood, made ridiculous the anger in his heart, did not prevent his accomplishing a brave meal of eggs steaming buttered pancakes with molasses and sweet cottage cheese with currant jelly. Kirsty would not hear of his going that night, so he stayed and slept in the bunk which his father had occupied a dozen years before. In the morning he was diligent to help with the barnyard chores and one golden comment from Kirsty, but he found Miranda still ice to his admiration. About breakfast time, however, Crufe reappeared with an air of having quite forgotten the evening's little unpleasantness, Of Dave she took no notice at all, looking through, beyond, and around him, but with her return, Miranda's manner became a shade less austere. Her self-reproach was mitigated when she saw that her passing interest in the newcomer had not unpardonably wronged her old friend. Dave was bound for the settlement, to arrange some business of bounties and pelt sales. In spite of Kirsty's hospitable arguments, he insisted on setting out as soon as breakfast was over— As he picked up his rifle from the corner beside his bunk, Miranda, as a sign of peace between them, handed him his pouch of bullets, but not so his big powder-flask on its gay green cord. This she took to the door, and coolly emptied its contents into the clump of burdocks. Then, with an enigmatic smile, she handed back the flask to its owner. The young hunter was annoyed. Powder was, in his eyes, a sacred thing, and such a wanton waste of it seemed to him little less than criminal. "'That was all the powder I had Twixt here in the settlement,' he said, in a tone of rebuke. "'So much the better,' said Miranda. "'But I don't see no sense in wasting it that way,' he persisted. "'Not knowing what may happen between here and the settlement,' rejoined the girl, meaningly. Dave flushed with anger. "'Didn't I pass you my word I'd not harm a hair of one of your beasts?' he demanded. "'Then what do you want with the powder this side of the settlement?' she inquired with tantalizing pertinence. "'The young hunter, though steady and clear in his thought, was by no means apt in repartee, "'and Miranda had him at a cruel disadvantage. "'Confused by her last question, he blundered badly in his reply. "'But what if a painter should jump on to me like he was going to yesterday?' he protested. I thought you promised you wouldn't harm a hair of one of them, suggested Miranda, thoughtful yet triumphant. Would you have me let the critter kill me just to keep my promise, he asked, humor beginning to correct his vexation. I don't see why not, murmured Miranda. Anyhow, you've got to do without the powder, and you needn't be frightened, Dave. This very patronizingly, for your father never carries a gun on our trail, and he's never needed one yet. Well, then, laughed Dave. I'll try and keep my hair on and not be clean-scared to death. Goodbye, Kirsty. Goodbye, Mirandy. I'll look round this way afore long, like as not. Inside of twelve years, said Kirsty with a rare smile which robbed her words of all reproach. Likely, responded Dave, and he swung off with long, active strides down the trail. Miranda's eyes followed him with reluctance. End of Chapter Twelve